During times of unrest and uncertainty, we look for the promise of peace from someone who can actually deliver it. And as we begin a new study this morning, we come to a letter from just such a person. It comes from a man who speaks with unquestionable authority and the power to deliver what he promises. Because it comes from an apostle of Christ Jesus who had been made such by the dramatically expressed will of God on the road to Damascus. The letter opens with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is known to us as 2 Corinthians, and it was sent by Paul and Timothy to the church of God, which was in the city of Corinth, and to all the saints who were living in what would be modern Greece. And I do stress that the saints were living in Greece. They weren't statues lining the roadways or housed in cathedrals. You know, we sometimes think of saints as Christians who somehow distinguish themselves in life and are then honored as such after death. But saints are simply those who have been sanctified, set apart by God as belonging to him and by the grace of God that happens before we die. Well, before we get into the body of this letter, we should probably note that this isn't actually Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Chances are pretty good it's the fourth letter that he wrote to them. We come to that conclusion by reviewing Paul's history with the church in Corinth and by teasing out some of the things that he mentioned in the two letters that have been preserved for us. We know Paul founded the church on his second missionary journey around 52 or 53 A.D. He stayed there for a year and a half and then went to Ephesus where he remained for a few weeks before taking a quick trip to Jerusalem. He then returned to Ephesus from which he wrote his first letter to Corinth, one that has not been preserved. We, we know of that letter because he mentions in 1 Corinthians that he had written to them about a shameful situation in the church. In response to that letter, the Corinthians had sent him a letter by the hand of three men mentioned in 1 Corinthians with several questions, and he attempted to answer their questions in what we call 1 Corinthians. Apparently what he had to say in 1 Corinthians didn't go over very well. So Paul made what he refers to in 2 Corinthians as a painful visit back to Corinth. That visit wasn't very successful either. So when he returned to Ephesus, he sent another brief letter by the hand of Titus, hoping Titus could clarify what he had said and, and resolve the problems. Apparently Titus was gone a long time, and Paul grew anxious to hear how things were going. So he headed to Macedonia where he ran into Titus on his way back. 
probably in Philippi. It was there that Paul and Timothy received good news about Corinth. And in response to that, with thanksgiving and a sense of relief, he poured out his most intimate and emotional letter, his fourth letter to them, and our second Corinthians. In this letter, we get a beautiful glimpse into the heart of a truly great apostle. And Paul begins verse 2 by promising grace and peace from God. And his doing so is far more than a mere salutation. He's assuring the Corinthians and all who have been sanctified, all who have become saints, that they are the recipients of God's grace and can know the peace that comes from it. And indeed, grace is amazing. The old acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense, sums it up pretty well. Everything God gives us, from salvation itself to our daily bread, comes from his grace. And a heart that is resting, a heart that is confident of God's love and provision, is at peace. It's calm and serene and untroubled. So Paul offers to the Corinthians and to us grace that results in peace. What he says next, however, is unexpected. It just doesn't seem to go along with grace and peace. He starts talking about afflictions, pressures, and suffering. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Paul speaks of God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But the picture is not one of God simply making us feel good. It's the same word used to refer to the Holy Spirit as comforter, paraclete, one who comes alongside. And it carries with it the idea of strengthening, of enabling. Paul is saying God is a God who enables us to cope with our afflictions. That would indicate that being granted peace does not mean we will be free from affliction, only that we will be given the resources needed to cope with it. That's probably not what we assumed when we learned we had been granted grace. But let's keep going. What are those afflictions he's talking about? Well, the root word translated affliction actually means pressure. And I think we can identify with that. Pressures are those things that make us feel like we're going to explode and keep us awake at night. And even though I doubt that many of you remember pressure cookers, those sealed pots on the stove with a relief valve that would pop open to keep the pot from exploding, it's been said that we live 
in a pressure cooker generation. And that was true long before the added pressures caused by COVID-19. Indeed, stress is a sign of our times, but apparently it's nothing new. They had stress in Paul's day and needed God's strength to handle it. So Paul assures them and us that just as the sufferings of Jesus are ours in abundance, so will our comfort, our strengthening be through him. And we do share the sufferings of Jesus. If we live a life of obedience to the Father, we suffer the same pressures and afflictions he did while on earth, only to an obviously lesser degree. No, crucifying self is hard, but it's really not the same thing as actually being nailed to a cross. However, we do face additional pressures in life, pressures from our peers because of our relationship to Jesus. We are promised comfort, strengthening, equal to all the pressures we face. To that, some might suggest that if God is willing to give us what we need to face the pressures of life, he should just remove the pressures in the first place. And at first glance, that does appear to be a good idea. But if we had no problems, no pressures, we'd never learn what he can do for us. We'd never learn to trust him if we didn't sense a need for him. We wouldn't care about grace if we didn't realize we needed it. And while we might be able to make it through the problems and pressures of life without a conscious recognition of his help, we could never make it through eternity without him. He wants us to discover our need for him before it's too late. That's why God allows and sometimes even sends pressures and afflictions and sufferings into our lives. He wants to lead us to grace. And for that, we will be eternally grateful. So we bless the God who leads us to grace through pressure. We glory in our tribulations, as Paul tells us to do in Romans, and we rejoice in our trials, as James instructed us to do. Pressure leads us to grace, and everyone who has received God's grace is no doubt thankful for it, but grace is not something to be hoarded. Grace and the comfort that comes from it is something to be shared. Let's read on. God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers 
of our comfort. Our afflictions and our comfort come not only to lead us to Christ, but to enable us to minister to others. And that's especially true of those of us who are more mature, more, more aged in the faith. You know, we no longer need to be driven to God's grace by pressures and problems. We're already there. But our pressures and afflictions do give us great opportunities to show others how they can count on God to strengthen them and meet their needs. We must never forget that others are watching us. And we tell others of our faith in Christ not only by what we say, but by the way we respond to pressures and frustrations of life, even those that are caused by the current pandemic. If we are always grumbling about the hardships and uncertainties we're being forced to endure, we're telling the world that our Lord can't handle things very well. But if we face life with confidence that God will give us the grace we need when we need it, and view our problems as if they've already been solved, and we're just waiting to see how God's going to do it, we exhibit a victorious Christian life that speaks volumes about the sufficiency of the grace of God. And as Paul makes clear, God comforts us so we can comfort others. He strengthens us so we can strengthen others. When under pressure, we realize God has given us an opportunity to be comforted and strengthened so others can learn of God's grace through us. It enables us to accept it graciously and even gratefully. If God has seen us worthy to demonstrate his grace and power to others, he's not picking on us. He's picked us. He's using us to lead others to him. That certainly puts our pressures and afflictions in a different light. And of course, going through afflictions enable us to empathize, empathize with others. Paul says he knows what the Corinthians are going through because he too is suffering. And he is confident that they will endure because they will be given the same comfort, the same strengthening that he has received. We can encourage others. We can support them. We can assure them that God is able and his grace is sufficient if we've been there. And if we can lead someone to trust in the grace of God, we are leading them to salvation. Salvation from despair in life and condemnation in death. So our pressures and afflictions are one of the most valuable tools we have for evangelism. And we can thank God for them. Additionally, they give real opportunity for meaningful fellowship in the body of Christ. Most believers like to share their victories. But unless we also share our struggles, our victories mean very little. Paul's going to give us a very practical way to involve others in our struggles and victories in just a 
couple of verses, but before we get there, he reminds us that grace, God's provision for our needs, is what leads to peace. For we do not want you unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Paul knew what it was to suffer, to be under pressure, it got so bad in Asia that he thought he was going to die. We're not sure what he's talking about, but he's probably referring to the riot in Ephesus caused by the silversmith whose trade was threatened when people became Christians and stopped buying idols, whatever it was. Paul says it was so severe that he had to look beyond himself, and that was good, for it was when he thought he was dead that he had to trust in the God who raises the dead. It was when he completely threw himself on God's grace that he discovered there was nothing God couldn't handle. And that most assuredly gave him peace. But again, Paul's self-reliance had to be broken before he could find the peace that comes from knowing that God is able to do what we can't. Only then could Paul confidently set his hope on the God who delivers. That's where peace comes from. It comes from knowing that God can take care of everything. But we don't know that until we've reached the point of giving up and are forced to place our trust in him. And it takes affliction, pressure, to get us to that point. Pressure leads us to grace, and grace leads us to peace. And as with grace, peace isn't given for our sake alone. The peace we are given is to be shared with others. And Paul shows us a beautiful way to do it. You also, joining in helping us through your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Prayer is giving expression to faith in God's sufficiency. Paul was confident God could handle things, but he wanted others to be in on the victory, so he shared with them the struggle and asked them to pray. He was confident that God could handle his problems, he was at peace about them. But he wanted others to discover how God works 
So he got them involved in prayer. You know, I've got a feeling that most of us invite others to pray for us because we lack confidence in coming before God by ourselves. That should not be the case. According to James, effective prayer, prayer that is offered according to the will of God, of a righteous man, anyone made righteous by the blood of Christ, can accomplish much. We don't need to enlist the help of others to convince God to do for us that which is according to his will. Yet Paul invited the Corinthians to join in helping him through their prayers. And I'm sure it comforted him. It helped him knowing they were praying for him. But I really don't believe he is so much enlisting their help as he is inviting them to share in the joy of answered prayer. You see, when we are at peace with God and his provision for us, we invite others to pray for us more for their sake than for our own. We want others to share in answered prayer for us so they will learn to trust God for themselves. We let others know when things are going rough for us and we invite them to pray for us, not because we need their help, but because we want them in on the victory we know God will bring. We are already at peace about the matter. And we want others to discover that same peace for themselves. And when that happens, we can say with Paul, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Strange as it may seem, grace, peace, and pressure do go together, and we thank God for all three. This morning, if you've been blind to the grace of God, I make it known to you. And with grace comes peace, the assurance that God is with you and will give you whatever you need. For today and for tomorrow. If you've not acknowledged your faith and confidence in the grace of God, offered to the sacrifice of his son, I invite you to do so now. And if you do, I assure you that you can confidently sing, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making us well aware that you are able to meet our every need. And Father, we even thank you for the struggles that come and even struggles that you send that make us realize how much we need you. 
how sufficient your grace is. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance we have of your love, your provision, and your care. Help us to demonstrate that openly and freely in the midst of a world and society that is, is filled with uncertainty and questioning everything and wondering what's going to happen tomorrow and worrying about it tomorrow. Help us to express the confidence openly and freely that we have in your grace. Help us live in the peace that comes through your grace. And help us even rejoice in our afflictions because they give us the opportunity to share with others the grace and peace of Christ. In whose name we pray.